volleyball. Can we give Jesus one more hand clap? Yes. What a great job, worship team. Fantastic, fantastic. Before you sit down, look at three people and say, you look way better than you did last week. Look at them. You look way better than you did last week. Then you may be seated. Good to see everybody. Great to see everybody. Um, I don't know how many times I've been here, but I love, this is my favorite church in Iowa. And... uh, best church today. Can we get, can we also just turn around just real quick? Why don't you stand one more time, turn around and face, which camera do we need to face? This one right here and just wave at the other campuses. We love you. We are one family. Welcome. Owen is it Owen and Autobahn. So welcome guys. We're glad you're joining with us and uh, good to have you. Good to have you. I'm excited to be here today. I can't wait to get into this. This is kind of a lane that that God has put me in, and um, you're in a series called Live Long and Prosper. I had no idea that I was finishing it up, and so I got to make sure this is really good, really, really good. And I, I am a preacher teacher, and so don't offend me by not taking notes. And here's what, here's what I know about note takers. Number one, they go to heaven, and number two, they get in first. It's like a Disney fast pass. If you have notes when you get to heaven, God will put you at the front of the line so you can get in front of all your family members that are in the back. So um, I have a friend who is a counselor in Chattanooga, T- Tennessee. He's a, he's a big influencer on social media, and we've become really close friends. And we talk a lot about the different things that are happening in our country, and specifically not just in the Christian world, but overall. And the, the sad thing that has happened in the last 10 years, and specifically in the last four years, since COVID and the shutdowns and all the stuff that that we faced in the church and outside of the church with schools and companies and all the the stuff that happened, this tyranny that we're trying to fight against, amen. And um, and so uh, he he has discovered that anxiety, depression, suicide has more than doubled in the last 10 years in his practice. Matter of fact, studies show that 31% of people deal with anxiety disorder. In a room like this, probably 50% uh, of you deal with some type of depressive anxiety. Um, I don't want to say mental illness because when I used to think of mental illness, I was thinking straight jacket, like you were in a padded room. And I don't even know if they have straight jackets anymore. Um, but, you know, they would put you in a straitjacket, they would mess with your head and give you a lobotomy. But the truth is, is that a lot of people face mental problems. They, they struggle with it. In 2006, our church was four years old, um, and we were in a growth moment. Uh, uh, we were meeting in a school, I was sharing with the guys in the back, that we were actually nine years mobile how many of you were here at the beginning of this church? Raise your hand if you were here at the very, very beginning. I think y'all were mobile. You were meeting in a movie theater, I think, I believe. And so we were in a cafetorium. We were at elementary school, which I did not know. Uh, Chris Hodges, I don't know if you know who he is. He's one of the largest churches in the country. He told me that, that, um, that I should have failed. <laughs> I was like, thanks, man. Thanks for the encouragement. He said that probably 70% of churches that start in high schools succeed, maybe 40% that start in middle schools succeed and less than 10% succeed that are in elementary schools. I'm glad I didn't know that. Like I would have been, I just assumed that God was gonna, we were gonna succeed. And so 2006, um, we, we were in a really big growth moment. We were running two services at the time in a cafetorium. <clears throat> and I uh, woke up on a Sunday morning and Unbeknownst to me, I had a major panic attack. I'd never had anything like that before. I'd never struggled with any type of sickness or anything like that. Um, I'd had some issues leading up to it, and I didn't know that I was having a panic attack. And about mid-morning, you know, I get up pretty early on Sunday mornings, 5.30, 6 o'clock, and our services start at 9. And so I found myself in my closet in a ball trying to figure out if I was going to be able to do this or not. My wife was freaking out. She didn't know what was going on. I lied to her about it. It was a really bad situation. It began a journey for me of trying to figure out what was happening. But what ended up going on is this thing called anxiety, this thing called panic stole my confidence. Every time I would stand on the side of the platform before I would preach, 
for many years. And this was 18 years ago. Uh, it doesn't happen anymore, but it used to be I would stand on the side wondering if I was going to have a panic attack. How am I going to get out of this? You know, what, what am I going to do um, if I was traveling somewhere? I would speak and, and really nobody knew about what was going on inside of me. I had no, they had no idea. Many of the church had no idea what was going on because I didn't know what was happening. And it totally stole my confidence. It, 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 I lived in fear, like full-on fear. Like, what happens if this happens in the middle of a service? I'm supposed to be this preacher, this pastor, this leader, and I am screwed up. Like, I am messed up on the inside. I started developing all these bad coping habits, bad things that, that caused me to not only deal with my mental things, deal with my anxiety, but also struggling with dipping into sin as a pastor. If I can just be honest, can I be honest in church? How many know if you're not honest in church, God will kill you? It's in the Bible, Acts chapter 5. 25% deal. Matter of fact, right now, it is the number one issue in health is mental illness. In a room like this, probably 50% of you deal with it. Depression and anxiety is a multidimensional problem that requires a multidimensional approach. It could be physical, it could be environmental, it could be relational, maybe just with the wrong, wrong person. Not if you're married, you know, you're married now, so you got to work it out. I want you to take that like, well, you know, Pastor Troy said that I could dump you, so I'm, I'm out of here. It could be biological, it could be social, it could be spiritual. Listen, the devil may not have caused it, but how many know he'll use it to debilitate you? He really will. Some are not in control but, but most are and have a part to play in our healing, this, this process. And sometimes it'll, it'll, it'll paralyze you. I want to do something that's going to take some courage from you, really some, some boldness from you, especially if you deal with anxiety or panic or depression. I, I want to do something before we move any farther. If that's you, it's going to take some courage. I know we're in church, but I, I want you to just feel like that you're loved and cared for. If that's you, would you just stand up on your feet real quick? If you're dealing with mental health, with mental illness, depression, anxiety, any of those things, I want you to stand up and just be honest with God today. I, I want to I tell you something, okay? I want to tell all of you before you sit down. I want, you to, I want you to hear this. I wrote this for you. God knows what you're going through. He loves you and he wants, you to give you, he wants to give you freedom, blessing, influence, anointing, and protection. Listen, God knows your thoughts, and he promises to renew your mind as you take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Listen, God knows your weaknesses, and he promises to give you strength right in the midst of them. Christ in you is stronger, is way stronger than the depression, anxiety, and fear, and hopelessness that's in you. Listen to me. God knows your gifts and he has a unique assignment for each one of you. That's why the devil's attacking you so much. You can wake up with purpose, direction, and meaning every day of your life. The world will be different and better because you showed up, because you are who you are and what you say. Last thing, last thing. I want to read this verse over you, Psalms 34, verse 17. It says, the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Can we give them a big hand just to have the boldness? You may be seated. Listen, listen, probably, probably, I would say that it would probably be close to 80% of the ones that are sitting down know somebody who's dealing with mental health, depression. Uh, you have a relationship with them. And if they've been honest, you probably have someone in your world that hasn't been honest with you about it, just like me, that was not honest with them. Now, I don't deal with it anymore. I was able to learn some things spiritually, which I'm going to teach you today, and just hopefully help you live long and prosper. Because you may, you may find yourself in a position where this is something that you deal with, that, that you struggle with as a result of your life. And life comes at you fast, man, especially if you're young. And I hope to give you some ideas. Here's what the Bible says in, in Isaiah 12, 12. It says, behold, God is my salvation. 
I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Now, if, if you look at the Bible, you could probably figure out the biblical characters who struggled with some type of mental health problem. David, definitely, right? I mean, he wrote Psalms. Just read Psalms. I sucked. I was terrible. But the Lord delivered me, you know. It's, it always starts off with his major issues. He just happened to journal them, right? I mean, think about Paul in the Bible. Paul probably had some issues. You don't kill people if you don't have issues. Come on. The post office is not looking for you if you don't have issues like that. Saul, King Saul, the first king. He obviously had some problems. Matter of fact, when, when they called him to be the king, he was hiding. He was afraid. Like he was jacked up. He was like, I'm, I'm going to be the king. Like if I'm going to be the king, I'm going to be in the front. But he's hiding. They didn't even know where he was. Hey, let's welcome King Saul. King Saul. King Saul. Hey, somebody go find King Saul. Probably the most prolific one and... He's really one of my favorite people in the Bible that I want to talk about today is Elijah. Elijah really struggled with some stuff. He shows up in 1 Kings chapter 17. It says this in verse 1, and Elijah the Tishbite. Okay, that's first of all your problem. If you're a Tishbite, you probably got made fun of in kindergarten. Hey, my name's Elijah. I'm a Tishbite. <laughs> you know, probably made fun of him. I mean, anyway. Of the inhabitants of Gilead. That was funny to me anyway. Said to Ahab. Okay, so the, the, the king and queen were Ahab and Jezebel. We'll talk about that in a minute. He says, he shows up on the scene as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand. There shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. So he shuts up heaven. He makes it stop raining. Now let me just give you kind of what I call a parenthetic preaching moment. When, you, when evil increases in the land... God will always raise up a prophet to bring balance. Okay, so you might ask the question, where is the prophet right now? You're that prophet. I believe God is raising in 2024 the church to be the prophetic voice. Specifically, churches like Eternity Church. In Des Moines, Iowa. Come on, give yourselves a hand for standing against the devil in these moments. Listen, listen. I, I know your pastor is on the front lines. That's what I love about Pastor Jesse. That's what I love about their family is they are fighting. You are on the front lines. You are that prophetic voice in the midst of an evil crisis in our country right now. That could affect the world. You realize that if America changes, the world changes. You're seeing that effect right now. So it's not just about protecting your own family. You did not sign on or you did not come to church. If you're a guest today, welcome. You didn't sign on just to kind of take, four of us four, take care of us four and no more. Like, I just want to protect my family. No, no, no. Your kids are going to inherit what you prophesy. And so that's, that's what Elijah was in the midst of an evil land. And he thought he was all alone. He thought he was the only one. And that's how you feel. That's how you feel often. You feel like, well, I'm the only church. I know I feel like that sometimes on the East Coast. I'm the only pastor. I'm in Charlotte. I feel like I'm the only pastor that's talking about the real issues, dealing with the real things in the face of a, a problem. And in this moment with Elijah... This was the worst time in Israel's history. They had the worst king and queen. The Bible declares that they were the most evil king and queen ever. Ever. Ahab and Jezebel. I mean, Jezebel started the whole housewives series. The housewives of Israel. Jezebel was the queen. Just watch it. I mean, she's like the beginning season. Episode one, season one. Jezebel shows up. I mean, that's her. She's horrible. 
Elijah had done lots of personal miracles. He fed a widow. He raised a kid back to life. He was now a household name when he made this prophecy. But he was accused. He was hated. He was, he was chased. He eventually challenged the government, challenged the, the, the king and queen when he challenged the prophets of Baal and Asherah. And by himself, he killed 850 of them. By himself, because he was alone. He repaired the altar that was broken down. He took 12 stones and built another altar all by himself. He cut a bull into pieces. He made a trench. He prayed. The Lord rained down fire, licked up the water in the midst of a drought. He executed all 850 prophets. He called rain down after three. It's one thing to stop the rain. It's another to call it back. He did all that. And then he ran 25 miles, basically a marathon, faster than the king's chariot. And then we catch up with them in 1 Kings chapter 19. Okay, I just want you to get the, 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 the stage that has been set for Elijah. And Ahab told Jezebel, verse 1, y'all, y'all tracking with me so far? Just stick with me, I'm going somewhere with this, okay? And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time, I'm going to kill you. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. Ran for his life. He went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. Important statement. And he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness And came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. He wanted wanted God to take him. I want to commit suicide. I'm done. I'm over this. And he said, it is enough now. Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under the broom tree, broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate. And drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time. Whenever you see the angel of the Lord show up, this is a what's called the triophany. This is a pre-incarnate Jesus. This is Jesus showing up for Elijah. Arise and eat because the journey is too, too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night there in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, whenever God asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. Okay, so he he wasn't asking Elijah like, hey, what are you doing here? Like, "Uh, what, what are you doing here, Elijah? No, he knew exactly why Elijah was there. He knew he was running for his life. So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. What happens with Elijah is what happens with us who struggle with anxiety or depression. Is we remove God because we get so focused on what's going on inside of us. Now, if you've never experienced that before... Um, let me explain to you what it, what it feels like to have an anxiety attack or a panic attack. Just pretend for a second that you're treading water. All right, you're treading water in the ocean. You don't know how deep it is. You're treading water and somebody tosses you a 50-pound dumbbell. That's what it feels like. You're trying to carry the weight of something that you were never meant to. You were never built to do that. You were never built to be in that environment. You're not a fish. You're not supposed to be in the water. And for somebody to throw you all that kind of weight, there's no way that you can handle that. And that's exactly what happened to me. And that's what it feels like. Elijah was treading water. He was treading it physically, emotionally, spiritually. He was exhausted. Physiologically, he was. We don't know all the details. We just know that he he was ready to die. Not because somebody was, was killing him. is because I, I want to I end my life. 
Which is, by the way, is not the answer. That is never the answer. And please, please talk to someone if that's the issue. So what I want to talk to you about specifically with Elijah is I want to give you some preventive things, but also some restorative, very practical things. And it all started, this all started, this whole message started, um, I've been in counseling for like ever since I started having anxiety, really when we started the church. Somebody, my pastor said, you need to be in counseling. I said, there's nothing wrong with me. He goes, oh, there will be. <laughs> Isn't that a great pastor to tell you that? Oh, you're going to have some problems. Trust me. And I've been married at that time, 10 years. I've been married almost 32 years now. Come on. Same, same woman all in a row. You have to clarify that, especially in Iowa. Just kidding, just kidding. So we were in a counseling appointment. This is my recent counselor. And he asked me this question. I want to ask you this question. What do you think, what, what, do, you, what do you think is the greatest indicator of health? Just yell it out. What do you think is the greatest indicator of health? Just yell it out. Peace, joy, what else? I'm, this, it is kind of a trick question, but just take a, take a shot at it. Those of you all that are watching in Owan and Audubon, just yell it out. What, what do you think is the greatest indicator of health? Anybody else want to take a shot at it? No help today? Energy. That's good. Okay. So this came out of, as a result of my wife and I. We had gotten this big argument. We call it intense fellowship. That's what you say in Chris. You don't say you argue. You have, I have intense fellowship. Some of you had it on the way to church today. Intense fellowship, you know, right? I don't want that kid anymore. Yeah, but we got to keep him. Well, we can make another one. <laughs> What's the greatest indicator of physical health, emotional health, spiritual health? Here's the answer. You ready? Want to know the answer? Recovery. The greatest indicator of health is not whether you... Peace is important, but how fast can you get back to peace? How fast can you physically recover? How fast can you, after an argument, intense fellowship with your wife, how, can, how fast can you recover from that? That's what real health is. That, that's, that's the beginning of understanding health. It's not whether you can manage all the pain, it's how fast that you, can you recover from that pain. That's, that really broke something open on the inside of me. See, first of all, if you want to write this down, the first thing that Elijah had to do is he had to learn how to recover. He had to recover. He was in a state of dis, disrepair. See, all of us, listen, all of us are either in one of two phases in our life. You are either in recovery or you are in discovery. One of those two areas. You are either recovering from something or you are discovering something. So think about your life right now. Now you could divide your life up, you know, in your, in your job, in your family, in your school, in your ministry, in your spiritual life. Where are you at in all of those areas? Are you in your job? Are you recovering? from a bad situation or are you discovering a promotion, something new, you're growing into something? Now, if all of your areas are in recovery, you are in for a crash. There should be some areas of discovery. Now, there's nothing wrong with recovering. We all recover, that's why we sleep at night. That's good recovery. Elijah needed to recovery. Mental health is all about recovery. It's all about learning how to recover. And, and the faster you can find the root of that issue, the root of the trauma, the, the emotional issue, the chemical imbalance, the relational problem, the environmental, it's the sooner that you can put your finger on that, because right now it's a blind spot to you, that's why you're spiraling. The sooner you can put your finger on that and figure that out, the sooner that you can recover and enter into a position of discovery. I wear this thing called a whoop band. Any, any whoopers out there? Anybody else wear a whoop band? A whoop band is like a, uh, 
it's a fitness deal. I, I, I work out a little bit. I try to stay in shape. And this, somebody turned me on this about four years ago, three and a half, four years ago. And the, the Whoop Band, what it does in, in its essence is not only does it track your physical activity, they call it strain. How much strain are you in? The, the, the highest strain you can get is 21. Never got 21. It, I think 21 you die, but but I've never got 21. I've gotten 20 point something because I was doing a, uh, a, a hike that was like 26 miles. I went 9,000 feet up. It was horrible. I got 20.9. But it's not so much for me what it tracks in my physical activity, but what it really tracks for me is, is called my recovery. It tells me how well I recover. And so it connects to my phone and it gives me a percentage that's based on a lot of different factors. It, it measures my, my HRV, my heart rate variation, which is the distance between the heartbeat, how fast and slow your heart beats and that distance in between there. I don't know all the details of it. All I know that the lower it is, the less in shape you are, the higher it is, the more in shape you are. It, it, it tracks my sleep, whether I'm in REM, whether I'm in deep sleep, whether I'm awake or um, you know just light sleep. It tracks my resting heart rate, whatever my resting heart rate, because if your resting heart rate, which is basically recovery, it lets you, you're, you're more physically fit. The older you get, the higher your resting heart rate comes. I looked at mine this morning. I, I was at 51%. Okay, that's above average. 66% would be in the green. I'm in the yellow today because, you know, I'm in a hotel. Sleep was bad. I ate too late last night. You know, my wife was a little angry at me yesterday. All of those things have something to do with it. Let me ask you, how fast do you recover? Let me help you with some questions that might help you recover faster. Are you ready? Are you saying yes too often? See, mentally, if I can move past this thought process, emotionally, can I move, can I regulate my, that's recovery, can I regulate these things? So in your life, are you saying yes too often? Secondly, are there people in your life that you're enabling? Are you letting them run over you? With that being said, do you have good boundaries? Do you have good boundaries? Do you have the right mix of people in your life? There's three kinds of people you should have. People to talk to, people to talk with, and people who talk to you. Mentors, peers, and mentees. If you have way too many mentors, or way too many peers, or way too many mentees, you're going to have a hard time recovering. Are, are you out of your lane right now, gifting? Are, are you, have you swerved, kind of moved out of your lane, your gifting? Get back in your lane. Stay, stay in your lane. You don't need to be like somebody else. Be you. Be how God's created you to be. You don't need to be like this young lady up here who's a phenomenal worship leader. Look, maybe your job is to be with the kids' church. I know you want to sing, but you can't. And that's okay because she can, right? Are you following me? Stay in your lane. Have you set, have you set those clear? But recharging your requires, recovery requires slowing down. Jeremiah 17, 14, heal me, O Lord. This is a great verse. And I shall be healed. Save me and I shall be saved. For you are my praise. Elijah had to recover. Secondly, write this down. Elijah needed to rest. He needed to rest. You need to rest. Now, I'm not talking about taking a nap. I'm a, I'm a professional napper. I am a professional. I love naps. Naps are Jesus. Jesus took a nap in the boat. So it's got to be spiritual. Are you with me? Come on, guys. Don't be hating on nappers. Okay, I'm a, I'm a prof I can take a 20-minute nap, wake up. I do what's called a coffee nap. You know what a coffee nap is? Take two shots of espresso, lay down. Take a nap. When you wake up, you get the hit of the caffeine, the hit of the nap, and you're ready to take the world, baby. Come on, Jesus. If you're not anointed, drink caffeine. It says, then he, verse 5 and 6, then he lay there and slept under the broom tree, so he ate and drank and lay down. Listen, listen. Rest is a weapon. 
It's never a weakness. I had to learn this in my own life in 2006 when I had these. I was not resting. Sure, I was sleeping, but I was not taking good time off. I was not, I didn't take vacations. I didn't do any of that. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1 says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. Rest is a force if it's done right. Rest is never a waste of time. It's never a waste of time to take a vacation. And if you don't take a rest, you'll be forced one. Remember, it's the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath. If God, if God made it in the top five for you to rest, don't you think it's important? But yet in the church, you know, we got to get things done. We got to get busy. You're only as effective how the quality of your rest is. Rest is a lifestyle habit that you have to make. God operates in a state of rest. That's what peace is. Nothing missing, nothing broken, nothing scattered. That's, that's what rest looks like. In the 1840s and 1850s, New York City had exploded and quadrupled in size. And so what the, the city did is they put out an opportunity for people to uh, competitively try to make a garden, like a, 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 a place, a, a park. And these two guys, uh, Frederick Olmsted and Calvert um, Oven, he, he, they, they both... I'm sorry, Calvert Vall, they they both won this contest and they were able to get 843 acres of land carved out in the middle of New York City, which is now called Central Park. Now, what they didn't know is that New York would become one of the biggest cities in the world, where in 2023, there's over almost 19 million people who live in New York City. But this 843 acres of a park still exists, right in the middle of the hustle and bustle of New York City. See, making rest a lifestyle is creating your own personal Central Park. You've got to carve out your own Central Park. You say, well, I'm only 23 years old. You better start working on it right now. Because if you understood all that God had for you, you need to have a central park. Do you have one? Let me teach you how to make one. I call it the 777 principle. And I discovered this when I was going through my panic attacks. 777. Here it is. You ready? Here's how you can learn how to develop a restful habit lifestyle. I told you this is very practical. Okay, very, very practical. Every seven days, you take a day off. Every seven days, you take a day off. Because, you, you listen, the reason why you do this is because you have four buckets that, that are always being depleted. You have a physical bucket, you have an emotional bucket, you have a mental bucket, and you have a spiritual bucket. By the way, spiritually, you can't just come to church and that be it. Like, that, that can't be enough. An hour and whatever, how, how long is the service? Today it's going to be three, but hey, listen... I'm joking. I'm joking. I only got 13 more minutes. I'm almost done. All right. So spiritually, you just can't, you can't just live on an hour and a half. Okay. You've, you've got to feed yourself outside. That's what happens when you become a Christian. If you think your spiritual bucket is going to be full by an hour and a half every week, you are very, 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 you're, you're not, it's not going to happen. But physically, you, you, your bucket's always being depleted. Your mental bucket's always being depleted. So rest is helping to try to figure out how to fill those four buckets. So every seven days, you need to figure out, all right, what, what, what can I do to physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually fill those buckets? All right, so every seven days, I'm going to take a day off. For me, it's Monday. Mondays are my day off. I guard them with my life. And I did it early on in my ministry. Now, pre-2006, I did not have a day off. Because, you know, I'm in the ministry, man. Who needs a day off? Well, God took a day off. Why shouldn't I? Yeah, but, you know, God. He's God. He can, he can afford to. I can't. Because there's stuff to get done. There's people that need me. Blah, 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 blah. You can make up all kinds of reasons to never take a day off. But you need a day off. Every seven days, take a day off. Every seven weeks, take a weekend off. That's what I do. I take a weekend off every seven weeks. I, I, I work on my schedule. You say, well, other people are in control of my schedule. No, they're not. 
Well, my boss says, no, he doesn't. You still have a life. If you really believe God and trust God, your job is not your God. Your boss is not your God. Your ministry is not your God. Are you following me? So every seven weeks, I take a weekend off. And every seven months, I take a vacation. It's very simple. You don't, now, you don't have to go to Bali, Bali every single time. Or Bora Bora. I've just some pictures of those, man. Those are some really cool spots. But maybe you could take an in-city vacation. Go across town and stay at another hotel. Let your kids swim in the pool and take a week off. Take a few days off. 777 principle. The greatest rest we can ever receive is when we rest in Jesus. Matthew chapter 11 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Thirdly, Elijah needed, Elijah needed relationship. Verse 3, it says he left his servant there. Why did he leave his friend? For some reason, when we go through bouts of anxiety, depression, or problems in that mental area, we tend to isolate ourselves. We think we're insulating when we're really isolating. I did it. I thought being alone was the answer. I need to deal with this myself. Nobody needs to be brought in this. They won't understand. They, can't, they don't know what I'm going through. They don't know what I'm feeling. Yes, they may not, but you need people in your life. I hit it. Elijah did exactly the same thing. He left his servant there in Bathsheba. Relationships, listen, they are the hardest things in life, but they are the most rewarding things in life. I have a bucket list. Anybody have a bucket list that you want to accomplish? One, one thing's on my bucket list is I want to go on a safari. Um, I used to watch Mutual of Omaha. Anybody over the age of 45 know what I'm talking about? I don't even think they had that program on TV anymore, anywhere. What was the, real, the whole name of it? Wild Kingdom, Mutual of Omaha. It was, all, I, it was an insurance company that basically lets you in. And so when I used to see that as a kid, I was like, man, I want to go on, on a safari. So I did some research on it. And they tell you when you go on a safari, you get in this truck and you drive through the, you know, wherever you're at, you know, somewhere in Africa. And, and they tell you one important thing because of the wild animals. Do not get out of the truck. They are very clear to not get out of the truck. Because when a lion sees the truck, he sees this huge animal that looks very intimidating. But if you get out of the truck, you have now moved away from the large animal into lunch. <laughs> and so I'm gonna stay in the truck. How many Christians get out of the truck? The Bible says that the devil roams about seeking whom he may devour. And so you start going through something, you stop going to life group. You stop going to church. You sit in the back, you come late, and you leave early because you don't want to talk to anybody because you got problems, because you got issues. And, you know, I don't want to be that person who's sharing everything. And I don't want to talk about my stuff. And you have gotten out of the truck, and the devil's going to take you out. And he's going to hold you in that pattern of your life for a long time unless you get back in the truck. Here's the great thing about God. You can always get back in the truck. And that's what church is all about. That's what it's all about. And you may not like everybody in church, and that's okay. I don't either. And I'm, you know, at my church, I'm their pastor. Don't tell them I said that. Hopefully they'll watch this video. I mean, I don't like all of them. They're hard to deal with. And guess what? People are hard to deal with. You're hard to deal with. But that doesn't mean we quit. I believe that God puts people in our life mainly because we need to learn something about ourselves from them. Maybe something that we're doing that we don't even realize. It's a blind spot in us. But when it comes to mental health and mental illness, you have to have people around you. You cannot put yourself outside of the truck because the devil will devour you. He may not have caused the problem, but he sure will use it. Stay in church. 
continue serving. Stay in a small group. Keep talking about what's going on. Find a counselor. I'm a firm believer in counseling. Let me tell you a big one. Get, out of, get off of social media. Social media is an illusion of relationship. It's a trap for depression and anxiety. 95% of 13 to 17-year-olds spend three to three and a half hours on social media every day. It is the number one cause of suicide and mental health problems in our teenagers and young people. It, it, promotes, it promotes poor emotional regulation. It promotes low self-esteem and limited coping skills. If, if my kids were growing up right now, they would not be on social media. I, I mean, I'd pull them off. Until when? Until never. Because they don't need to be on it. I know that won't be popular in the parenting realm, but I promise you right now, it, it is a painful thing to deal with. Last one. I know that, that wasn't very popular. I didn't get any amens on that one. Here's the last one. Here's the last one. Elijah needed a reason. He needed to recover. He needed rest. He needed a relationship. And probably the most important is he needed a reason. A reason to live. Elijah had lost touch with his mission. When we disconnect with God, we often disconnect from purpose. Carl Menninger, one of the great leading American psychiatrists, he led in the field of psychiatry in America, wrote many books kind of really on the big, like PTSD and anxiety and depression. People asked him, what would you tell someone who was so depressed they wanted to commit suicide? And everybody thought that he was going to say, get into counseling, take medication. Here's what he said. You need to get up. You need to get out of bed, get out of the house, and go find someone who is in trouble and go help them. The best way to find your purpose is to help someone else find theirs. And so if you've lost your purpose, it's very easy to fall, fall back into that mental depressive. And you say, well, I, I can't right now. Oh, yes, you can. Well, I don't know if it'll happen again. I know. I know what you're going through. Because I used to stand on the side of that platform and wonder if it's going to happen again. But I powered through it. And sometimes I don't even know what I said. I just hoped it was good. And whatever that looks like for you, maybe it's not preaching. It could be anything. It could be walking out of the house. It could be getting in your car and going to work. It could be going to a life group. It could be coming to church today and you're feeling that problem. God said to Elijah, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Purpose. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, purpose. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place, purpose. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. I have, I have reserved, God's talking to Elijah, I've reserved 7,000 in Israel all whose knee have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. In other words, Elijah, you are not alone. There's people with you. Would you stand with me today? I want to pray for you before we go. I want to pray for you. And then I want to invite you to do something today because I think one of the biggest causes of mental health is generationally. So general, I want to break some, gener, we're going to break some generational curses today. Break some things off of you. But before, I want to invite you into that sweet relationship you can have with God. Where he said, where Jesus said, come to me, all those that are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. So close your eyes, however you want to get alone, just for a minute with God. He told us in Matthew 11, come to me, all those that are burdened. If you're here today, even watching online or watching at one of the other campuses, just, just right now, right where you are, just close your eyes. And I want to pray. I want to pray that God would draw you out of maybe a life of sin, a life that you know is not pleasing to God. Maybe you stumbled into church today. A friend invited you. I don't know how you got here, but I do know that it was on purpose and God ordained it. 
whether you've been running from God or maybe you, you, you know, you, this is the first time you've ever been in church. I don't know, but God does and he cares about you. If, if you've been running from God, I'm proud of you for coming back. Maybe somebody hurt you in church. I'm sorry, man. It, it sucks. It's, it's terrible when you have to go through something like that. But I'm telling you right now, God is here for you. He desires to save you just like we sung about. He desires to heal you, deliver you, and give you that freedom today. Freedom to do what? To live on purpose, to have a purpose, to have a reason, to have relationships, to be able to rest, to be able to recover. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you want to get right with God, you want to restart your life, you want to make a... Make Jesus the Lord of your life. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you right now. If that's you, say, yes, I want to give my life to Jesus, either for the first time or the hundred and first time. I want to invite you. I'm going to count to three. When I get to three, if that's you, every campus, every campus, I want you to raise your hand. You ready? One, two, three. Just raise your hand. You say, that's me. I want to get right with God. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Don't hesitate. Come on, church. Can we give them a hand as they raise their hand? Let's everybody do this real quick. Put your hand right on your chest, especially if you raised your hand today. I believe the greatest faith you'll ever hear is what comes out of your own mouth. Just say this with me. Everybody together, church family, join with them at all the campuses. Say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that his blood washes me of all my sins and all my mistakes. Today I give you my life. Today I decide. I choose to serve you. Thank you, Jesus, for being raised from the dead so I could start a new life that begins right now in Jesus' name. Come on, let's give them a hand clap right now one more time. Now... Now listen, in Isaiah 53, in Isaiah 53, Jesus is prophesied about 800 years before he comes. And it says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was wounded, wounded. Outside is where you have a wound, happens on the outside. So he was wounded for our transgressions. Bruising is bleeding on the inside. It says he was bruised for our iniquities. Iniquities is another word for sin that means to be bent. What happens generationally is when there is a sin in the past that is often unrepented for, it begins to work its way into future generations. Matter of fact, God said in Exodus that he would visit the iniquity not sin, but the iniquity, the bent, because you tend towards this generational curse. Three to four generations. But he said, I will show mercy to a thousand. So there's deliverance for you. And many times mental health, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, any type of sickness or disease is linked to a generational curse. And today we're going to break that generation. Why? Because Jesus paid the price for you so he bled on the inside so that you could be healed on the inside so if you're here today and you have been struggling with with maybe anxiety or maybe mental health and you feel like that is a generational thing I want to just take just five minutes I want to pray for you today but you need to act to act in faith what that means for you today means you got to step out. Maybe you're dealing with a, a physical ailment, a problem physically, mentally, emotionally. I want to pray for you. We're going to break because Jesus died and his blood was shed so that you could be healed from the inside out. If that's you, that's you. Here, oh, I want you to take a step of faith. I want you to get out of your seat and I want you to come to this altar because I want to pray for you specifically to break these generational curses off of your life. Come on, come right now. Just get out of your seat and come right now. We're gonna pray for you right now. We're gonna pray for you right now. Just get out of your seat and come. Just come. We're gonna break these generational curses over you. 
And as you come, just lift your hands up to heaven as a form of surrender. Just close your eyes and just let God touch you right now. Let me tell you, he's going to touch you. He's going to heal you. That freedom, that deliverance is going to come on you. There's a couple more people. You need to get out of your seat and come. If it's a chronic pain, you've been diagnosed with cancer, there can cancer runs in your family, get out of your seat and come. Mental health is in your family, get, get out of your seat and come. Let's break that off of your life, off of your family, off of your future. God said, I'll, I'll show mercy to a thousand generations. In other words, through you, there'll be healing for future generations. Barring Jesus coming back, you could be the beginning of freedom in your family, the beginning of deliverance in your family as a result of you taking a step of faith. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else, you want to get in on this prayer, just get out of your seat right now and come. You don't want to miss this. You don't want to miss this. So get out of your seat and right now. Come on. Five, four, three. Come on. Anybody else? Two, one. All right, we're going to pray right now. Church, would you stretch your hands out to each one of these people? We're going to use our faith. This is what the church is all about. We're going to be the church today. Those of you that came, I want you to just say this out loud. Just say this out loud. Say, today is my day of deliverance. Today begins a ripple effect in my family and future generations. I am the beginning of a legacy. Father God, you sent your son Jesus to bleed for me not just on the outside so that my sins would be forgiven but he was bruised for my iniquities I repent for past generations and the sins and mistakes that they made I break come on say it loud like you believe it I break I, come on one more time I break generational curses in my family in my life I am healed I am delivered I am free I am cleansed from the inside out I take authority over the enemy no more generational curses I am healed come on say it again I am free I have liberty because the Son has set me free in Jesus' name. Come on, just lift your hands and receive it. Father, we receive it right now. In Jesus' name. Freedom for every person. In the name of Jesus. We love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, can we give God just a big hand clap and thank Him? Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to myeternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at My Eternity Church. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.